It's summer in Minnesota. What could be better? All the beauty and the green. It's time to look at all the beautiful flowers, eat some flowers, and grazing in the garden. A little kale, some lettuce. What could be better than garden grazing? Of course, trees. Actually, trees are better. I love trees. I love nature, but especially the woods. A little water doesn't hurt. Look at these flowers. So we're at the Ponco's garden. And uh, here's some rhubarb, uh, but we don't have any sugar. So you're saying, wait, I thought this was a sermon. Is this a gardening show or a nature show? Or is this spiritual? What does spiritual and physical have to do with each other? That's part of our question today. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for this creation. And I'm not even going to shut my eyes as I pray because this is so beautiful. You have given so much richness. And I want to thank you for that. Praise you for that. And I want to find out what do you have to say to us out of all of this? And what do we have to say to you about all of this? So let's go see what Scripture says over here in the treehouse. Um, what does Scripture say? Thank you, Lord. So, Psalm 104 now, last week, we did Psalm 103, which ended with praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, everything he has created, everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. So, Psalm 104 is falling right on that and says, let all that I am praise the Lord. Again, it starts and ends with that same phrase. Let my soul praise him. And then it goes on and carries on that same theme from the last verse of Psalm 103. It says this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. O Yahweh my God. Now again, it's Lord. You could put Yahweh there um, because that's the, it's a name. It's not a title of Lord. So some of you that are uncomfortable with Yahweh, I might just put Jesus there. So let all that I am praise Jesus, who is Yahweh. O Jesus my God, how great you are. You are robed with honor and majesty. You are dressed in a robe of light, you stretch out the starry curtain of the heavens and lay out the rafters of your home in the rain clouds. You make the clouds your chariot. You ride upon the wings of the wind. The winds are your messengers. Flames of fire are your servants. Notice that the scary storm is just a servant and a messenger of God. You place the world on its foundation so it would never be moved. You clothe the earth with floods of water, waters that covered even the mountains at your command the waters fled at the sound of your thunder it hurried away mountains rose and valleys sank to the levels you decreed then you set a firm boundary for the seas so they would never again cover the earth i want you to notice this is an active active and we're going to it's going to get even more active as we go through here but this is a meditation on the creation and it's a meditation on the creation that we see in, in Genesis 1 and 2. But Genesis 1 and 2 is almost compared to this, like still pictures, like day 1, day 2, day 3. Remember your Sunday school lessons with that? This one is the video. This is the movie of what was happening. Not only is it that, it's active now. It's not just a past thing that happened. And I want you to know something else. So here we get locked into a confusion, I think. We feel like we have to choose between evolution, meaning that the world changes, and 
creation, meaning that it happened in seven days. And I think actually both science and and uh, scripture allow for a lot of variety. The main point is that God did it. Not only did God do it, but according to Psalm 104, he's doing it. He is creating. It isn't just a past thing. So, um, let, <clears throat> so I would love for you to read Genesis 1. I'm not going to take the time. Read Genesis 1 and 2 and compare it to this because he's actually going through the days of creation, not in perfect order. It's a meditation. He's moving around, but he's, he's walking through the creation that's there and he's doing the video update. This is the, uh, this is the MTV version of uh, what was done in the still, still, still verses. Um, so let's, let's read on. You make springs, pour water into the ravine, so streams gush down from the mountains. They provide water for all the animals, and the wild donkeys quench their thirst. I don't know if I've seen wild donkeys, but I've seen a lot of zebra quenching their thirst. Um, the birds nest beside the streams and sing among the branches of the trees. You send rain on the mountains from your heavenly home, and you fill the earth with the fruit of your labor. Are you getting the picture? He's trying to show this picture. That's, think of... Think of those, those videos you've gotten in the Serengeti. Now, I've been to the Serengeti because we lived not too far from there. Um, but all the animals and, and their streams and, and uh, all that beauty. And, and notice that he fills the earth with the fruit of your labor. You cause grass to grow for the livestock and plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. Now notice, you'll see the same thing in Genesis 2, that God provides food and a task and beauty in creation for people and for the animals, for everyone. And so I, uh, I brought a few things from my own garden. I've got a much smaller little postage stamp garden, but this is from my garden. And uh, this cucumber is from my garden. And of course, zucchini. I can even grow zucchini. Um, and this is I think decorative. I don't know why I planted this. Uh, that was accident, I think. And this. Mm -mm. Sorry, you can't taste fresh raspberries. But um, mm, they're good. All this brings back memories to me of grazing in the garden that I grew up in. Now, my dad had a two-acre garden. Two-acre garden and a Ford 1948 Ford 8N tractor, which is still there. He was going out to fix it, um, get it to start the day he died. Um, my father-in-law also has one. They both grew up farming potatoes, picking potatoes, and um, milking cows. And they, uh, they both thought they were going to be farmers. And then they both decided, for different reasons, to go to the cities and uh, go to school. And they both showed up late for school. No one, like, application ahead, see if you're accepted. No, no, show up before, after school's already started and see if they'll let you in. They did let them in. My dad went to Bible school. My, my father-in-law went to the University of Minnesota. And then he became a farmer. My dad became a preacher. My dad, I don't think, got quite the theology, and I don't think I got quite the theology that made sense of his love for nature. He was farming potatoes till the day he was sawing a board to put in his root cellar. Now, it didn't always make complete economic sense. He built a root cellar so that he could store his potatoes. So we had to make sure that we never bought vegetables. We had to have a whole year's supply of vegetables, carrots, potatoes, everything in the freezer or in this root cellar so that 
we wouldn't go hungry, right? We had to, that was how the depression was for sure, but probably could have bought potatoes instead of building a root cellar at the end of his life. But my father-in-law is the same. He, um, he said 90 was no problem until the next day he fell off the combine and he's had a lot of problems with his head, but he still can't keep him. He's got terrible headaches. He can't keep himself though from going out and sawing down the birch tree and uh, planting stuff. And, and uh, he really wants to get some sheep. And uh, he just repainted the sheep sheds this week. And so um, that's the thing is he loves that work because there's something about that creating that is real. And he didn't get messed up quite as much with the theology my father did. See, my, my father loved all this stuff, but he knew that the real stuff was spiritual. Spiritual things are what's really important. All this is just going to disappear. It's just, you know, for now. But spiritual things are really important. So I want to talk a cup about a couple of myths that we have. One is that nature is God. Nature is God. So people see all of this and say, wow, this is just amazing. Now, if you um, actually, a lot of people compare this psalm to a Egyptian hymn to the sun god from 1350 BC, actually before this. And it's not really clear if the psalmist is actually paying attention to that. If he is paying attention to it, in either case, it's very different than that because he's not worshiping the sun as a god. He's worshiping the creator of the sun. In fact, let's read on and, and see what it says. Uh, but before I do that, when you watch a nature show, um, and they show the beauties of creation and all that's going on. Have you ever noticed that they slip into personifying nature or evolution or something and they say, and nature loves to, and, and we've got to protect, and, and, and it always slips like, wait, we said survival of the fittest, but now you're trying to protect this species. Why, who cares? Why protect the species? So we begin to worship nature when we see how amazing it is we say nature is amazing nature did this evolution did that but and that's what this ancient hymn to the sun in egypt was doing was worshiping the sun as god but this is not the sun as god this is god's creation in fact let's read on um the trees of yahweh the trees of jesus are well cared for the cedars of lebanon that he planted he planted them there the birds make their nests, and the storks make their homes in the cypresses. High in the mountains live the wild goats, and the rocks form a refuge for the hyraxes. You made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to set. In other words, they're not gods. They're just something that God put in order very wisely, gave them their time. You send the darkness, and it becomes night when all the forest animals prowl about. Then the young lions roar for their prey, stocking the food provided by God. Provided by God. You notice that? Now, Serengeti is also a great place to watch lions, except they don't let you go out at night. Um, at dawn, they slink back into their dens to rest. So we only get to see them resting usually. Then people go off to their work where they labor until evening. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Lord. Oh, Yahweh. What a variety of things you have made in wisdom. You have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. You see, here is an, wow, this is amazing. But it isn't like nature's amazing. It's creation is amazing. God, what he made is amazing. And therefore, he is amazing. And so this is a, an explanation. Notice the wisdom, the orderliness. So the 
the moon is out so that the lions can hunt. There's the night for the lions to work. And then there's the daytime when the sun comes out and people go to work. And God's laid it all out. It goes on. The earth is full of your creatures. Here's the ocean, vast and wide, teeming with life of every kind, both large and small. See the ship sailing along in Leviathan, which you made to play in the sea. Now, Leviathan, it's not clear if it's an actual creature or this, uh, this mythical sea monster. But in most of the myths, it's a sea monster. Here, oh yeah, it's one of those creatures God made to play. That big, ugly, terrible Leviathan, it's, he made it to play in the sea. You know, we also got to go snorkeling on the Indian Ocean when we were in uh, East Africa. Wow, snorkeling on the reefs, amazing. You, you guys have seen Jacques Cousteau's Undersea World of, now I mean that's, you know, go down there, explore all that stuff. Just think of all the stuff God has made. And if you get a microscope, it's even better. If you get a telescope, it's even better. In the last sermon I said microscope instead of telescope, I noticed, but anyway. <laughs> Whether you use a microscope or a telescope, it's all amazing. And science is actually built on the foundation of a God who is, has created things in an orderly way. Not that it's part of it, not that the storms come because Baal's mad and this and that, so that, that pantheistic thing, but it was made based upon, I want to read the book of nature, some of the early scientists said. It was a Christian worldview that allowed us to see science. And science gives us great insight into this. And, but then we easily make it into idolatrous, and now science is so amazing. And we also especially like science to give us control over things. So that once we figure out how God made it, or how it is, then we can control it because we know how it is. And um, so the... Uh, <clears throat> The accepted model of reality is all mechanism and no maker, Kidner says. All mechanism and no maker. And that we want a mechanism because then we can control it. We can turn the dials. Um, and you see, that's a different myth. The first myth is pantheism, where God is part of the world. The next myth originally was deism, which is God made a beautiful clock and then he wound it up and he let it run. And then he left and took a nap, and he's been resting ever since. That creation is past, and it's done. God is rational. And then the, sort of this um, Buddhist detachment and spirituality. Well, we didn't call it Buddhist, but Buddhism has the same thing, of no desire. But God is a passionate God who loves what he made. Um, I love what Paul Miller says in... in uh, he says, Neoplatonism, that kind of idea of the rational thing, seeped into the church, equating spirituality with a suppression of desire and emotion. That's why Jesus comes across in so many films as a bit strange and effeminate. He walks slowly, talks slowly, moves slowly. He says, we want to put a pin in him. <laughs> um, by discounting the spiritual and physical worlds, Neoplatonism did exactly what the Enlightenment did. The only difference was Neoplatonism valued the spiritual, while the Enlightenment valued the physical. So the church is influenced by Platonic thinking, Neoplatonism. The physical isn't important. Spiritual is what's important. And the world is shaped by the Enlightenment. The spiritual isn't important. But both perspectives stifled honest person-to-person -person praying in the church. In other words, we don't really talk to God because we forget that he's in control. 
He's active in creation so that if we want something to happen, if we want food to grow, it makes sense to pray about it because he's making the food grow. Not, oh, well, I should put the right amount of fertilizer and get this right because it's all a mechanism that I can control. So let's read on. The next verse, 27, says, They all depend on you. That is, the, the, all of your creatures in the ocean and every place else. They all depend on you to give them food as they need it. When you supply it, they gather it. They eat it. When you open your hand to feed them, they are richly satisfied. That's what we're celebrating in Minnesota this summer. But if you turn away from them, they panic. When you take away their breath, they die and turn again to dust. God made us out of dust and he made the rest of the creatures. When you give them your breath, life is created and you renew the face of the earth. So God is the one that gives breath. Truth is, right now we're all panicking because we're losing our breath. What, what about COVID? What about... Um, and it, it reminds us that we are dependent. We are not in charge, despite our science and everything else. Uh, I, I love this, um, this little poem. He, he t mentions um, Lillian Trotter, who worked for, for decades, faithfully serving the Lord as a missionary for three and a half decades. In the last four years of her life, her failing health continued its downward movement, during which she continued to write, paint, and minister in various ways, largely out of her weakness while confined in her bedroom yet with powerful results. Reminds me of my mom who can't move in the nursing home. In her diary, she recorded the following lines from George Fox. Two glad services are ours. Both the master loves to bless. First we serve with all our powers, then with all our helplessness. And she goes on to say that Jesus won salvation for the world in the weakness and darkness and stripped and naked. So little wonder for us if the power, the price of power is weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God said in sec, uh, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. So that dependency is a reality. We are dependent upon God. I want you to notice, though, that there's a, a renewing of the face of the earth. God is actively working in his creation. And he's moving it toward a new creation. Let me read on. Verse 30. When you give them breath, life is created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of Yahweh continue forever. May the glory of Jesus continue forever. Jesus takes pleasure in all he has made. Now, I want you to stay there. Jesus takes pleasure in all he has made. We've been talking about feelings. And that's another thing that... Um, Platonic thinking felt like feelings were a bad thing. We should be rational. Kant was also that. Schleiermacher was like the opposite. Feelings are, let's have real experiences. So we have a bit of both in our society now. We have sort of the older generation maybe is like, don't follow your feelings. Just love, but, but you know, just, just uh, you know, emotions will follow. Um, one, of the, one of the books mocks that. So, so if you came home as a, as a husband and said to your wife, so, you know, I don't really, I'm not, I'm not worried about the emotions anymore. I'm just going to love you as my duty. And uh, I don't, I wouldn't go over very well. God loves. God himself is a feeling God. So we are like God when we're feeling. And when we're enjoying creation, we are being like God. We're taking pleasure in that. 
he takes pleasure in all he's made. And that's actually one of the things that that um, is key for me. And, and Revelation says the same thing. Thou art worthy to receive glory, glory and honor and power. For thou hast created, hast all things created. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are created. Thou hast created all things. It's God's pleasure is the purpose that they were created for. Yes, we get to eat. He also did it so we could eat and, the, and blessing all the animals and this beautiful panorama of things that's happening. But why is the ultimate purpose? Because he loves it. So here's my main point of the sermon, I think. God is actively creating for the fun of it. For pleasure. He is actively now creating for the fun of creating things. And that's where I think my father-in-law has got a little bit of God. I mean, he's 90. He can retire. But he's, whenever, he rents out most of his land, but you know, he's got to farm some of the corners because why should they have all the fun? That's his attitude. Um, so actively creating for the pleasure of it, for the fun of it, is why God keeps creating. And he's moving it toward a new creation. So, Verse 32, the earth trembles at his glance. The mountains smoke at his touch. I will sing to Yahweh, the Lord, Jesus, as long as I live. I will praise my God to my last breath. He's giving me all my breaths, as I mentioned earlier. To my last breath, I'm going to praise him. May all my thoughts be pleasing to him, for I rejoice in Jesus. I rejoice in Yahweh. I rejoice in the Lord. You catch some things there? May my thoughts, my feelings, my being be pleasing to him. When he sees all and takes pleasure in all of his creation, may he really take pleasure in my thoughts. And for I rejoice in the Lord. So he's saying, you know, as great as all this is, I rejoice in its creator because of what it shows me about the creator. He is rejoicing in the Lord. And I want you to catch that theme of joy. God is enjoying his creation, including you. And you get to enjoy him, including by enjoying everything he's made. So there's, I rejoice in the Lord. Now, it, that's just fun, joy. So um, the last verse says, Let all sinners vanish from the face of the earth. Let the wicked disappear forever. Let all that I am praise the Lord, praise Yahweh, praise Jesus, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the first of the hallelujah psalms. We don't have any hallelujahs until this psalm and through the end we have a lot of hallelujahs. But that's kind of, you're kind of like, wait, uh, sinners and the wicked? Uh, we're just having so much fun. Um, but this psalm is not just Genesis 1. It's acknowledging that there's been a fall and things are messed up and the earth is messed up. And there are sinners messing things up. And it's looking forward to realize that God is, he created, he's creating, and he's going to create. This is part of a redemption process that he's moving into a new creation, a brand new creation. So again, the, it promises us at the end that there is a new creation, a new body for me, a new creation for the earth, a new heavens and a new earth. And so it's not just like, oh man, God did this 
and wound it up and left it and now it's wearing out and you know we're messing it up and it's just going to burn up someday and then he'll do something new. No, God created a beautiful creation that he still takes pleasure in and he's creating it now that we can take pleasure in it and in him. While he's pleasuring in it, he's also realizing that he's moving toward a time when it will be all pleasure, all joy because sinners and the wicked who are messing things up on this earth and with people are going to be dealt with. So he's praying, Lord, this creation is so good. Will you now finish the work and get rid of the sinners and the wicked and the evil in our world so that we can enjoy it fully and rejoice in you? So I just want you to, to uh, enjoy Minnesota summer as a spiritual activity. Jesus is all about what he's created. And you can be all about it. You don't have to be like, I go to church to do my spiritual thing, and then I go do my work and my physical thing and my eating. No, you can eat enjoying and rejoicing in God. You can work enjoying and rejoicing in God. You can be in nature enjoying and rejoicing in God because he is involved right now in all of it. Now, let me tell you a little story. In Lake Victoria, Sinners and Wickedness, we uh, introduced some uh, Nile perch. They ate up 300 unique species of cichlids, of all kinds of amazing cichlids. So all kinds of, uh, there's a book called Darwin's Dream Pond um, about all the, how, again, there's been change that made all this cool stuff there. But there's another video called Darwin's Nightmare about how Basically, these Nile perch that were introduced by people ate up everything. But there's also a piece of the recreation. That, uh, a friend of mine told me a story about they went to a conference and people were showing pictures and, and uh, this Japanese guy was, was trying to show his slides but he, he couldn't explain it. And then he, he went to this guy's room, long story. But anyway, he was showing him new pictures. He's like, I recognize that bird and that species and that one. And uh, what's that? And what it turns out is that there are new species of cichlids coming into Lake Victoria. God is creating new species. Now, I have a, a uh, friend who has a PhD in marine biology just so he could uh, fly planes in, in, around Lake Victoria. Um, and he said, well, it depends how you define species. But basically, yes, they are adapting and creating and possibly new species. And at first I was like, well, how can that be? Because God created and then he went and sat on the couch, right? Then I thought, wait, 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 no. Psalm 104 tells me he's creating. He's actively changed. So when people show us, you know, there's change, so therefore you're wrong about creation. I'm like, no, there's change. So God's still at it. God's still creating now. And that's what scripture says. Um, God did it. God is doing it. And God is going to do it. And it's going to be perfect. It's wonderful now but it's going to be perfect because sinners and wickedness and the way we're eliminating species and, and uh, whatever, that when we do that, we don't help all of creation glorify God like we should. We, we reduce his pleasure, but it's all for him. Here's another little thing, maybe I've mentioned before, but um, National Geographic had a, a centerfold, fold-out thing of a black spot in the, in the Hubble telescope taking a picture of the black spot in the sky. Turns out that black spot is filled with stars. They're not stars, they're galaxies. 
galaxies of stars, which we never saw until we built the Hubble telescope. So how was that helping us? It wasn't, really. God was enjoying it. He made all those galaxies for the pleasure of it, for the fun of it. And so God has done way more than we can grasp. But we get to look around. We get to have a little bit of a taste of the goodness of his creation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for all of the good things that you have created, that you are creating, that you will create. And we thank you, Lord, for all of this. Thank you, Jesus, for making us and making us so that we can rejoice in you and all that you've made to our last breath. Thank you that we do depend upon you, but you are worthy of depending upon because you are so great, so gracious, and we want to have fun with you in your creation as you enjoy it and we enjoy you. Amen. Bless your day. Enjoy your summer. I sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all the stars obey. I sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how thy wonders are displayed wherever I turn my eye. While all that follows life from me is ever in my care, and every 